Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast, your weekly dose of all things football tactics and coaching related. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and we've another exciting episode for you all today. The point of this podcast has always been to educate our listeners, helping them to see the beautiful game from the analytical eyes of those who work in it at the highest level. Our objective is to make sure that you walk away with little nuggets of information that you wouldn't find anywhere else on the internet. But of course, to do that, we need to get exciting guests on the show. And today, I certainly believe we've managed to do just that. In January of the 2016-17 season, Steve Davis was unfortunately dismissed as the manager of Crew Alexandra after a six-year spell at Cresty Road. To replace David, the board looked inward, not outward, and turned to a young coach who was doing a wonderful job in the academy. That man was David Artell. Artell had only been retired a few years, following a lengthy playing career spanning two decades. The centre-back played for clubs such as Rotherham United, Northampton Town, Crewe, Port Vale, Mansfield and Morecambe, as well as the Gibraltar national team before eventually hanging up his boots and taking up the role of academy operations manager in 2014. Nevertheless, Artel took a bold leap of faith and agreed to become the new manager of Crewe Alexandra. Avoiding relegation in his fourth season in charge as the new men's force team head coach, Artel managed to steady the ship as Crewe exponentially progressed in the next few seasons. In 2019-20, a campaign savagely ravaged by COVID-19, Crewe gained automatic promotion to League One. The following campaign, the club finished 12th, the highest position the railway men had ended a season in the Football League since their relegation from the Championship in 2006. Unfortunately, Crewe were relegated back down to League Two in 2021, while Artel left the club in April 2022. However, the now 41-year-old coach had the English minnows fighting well above their weight class and did a commendable as well as memorable job in his five-plus years in charge. I'm very pleased to announce that David has joined us today to discuss his coaching career, philosophy of football, inspirations, management tactics, and much, much more. Hi, David. How are you? How are you enjoying the nice weather? It's lovely, isn't it? It's always nice. Um, it's, it's warm and dry rather than uh, wet and windy, I have to say. Yeah, I, I mean, me being from the Republic of Ireland, I can't, um, I'm not used to this kind of weather, so I'm, it's half nine in the morning here and I'm genuinely sweating still. David, the average manager lasts probably less than a year now in, in football. I think that's the average. You lasted for five at Crew, which is a great testament to kind of the job you did. But you spoke before in other interviews about how you were surprised at being offered the job. What do you think the board saw in you at the time from the work you were doing in the academy that they believed in you to give you the full-time job? Um, that's a good question. I think um, I, I think I think we'd, we'd, we'd passed the all flying colours. I think we had nine points, something like that, nine sort of recommendations, where the last audit had 50-something other and, and failed in some areas. Um, so there's obviously a, um, an actual application, you know, application of the job I was doing that was actually, you know, very good. I think coupled with the fact that I was, I, I was, I made it clear when I took the job that I still wanted to coach. I didn't want to be an, an academy manager that was a desk manager. Um, although I think it has morphed more into that role because the head of coaching roles come in. Um, whereas when I first took the job, that wasn't there. Um, so there's obviously you know you can see that I was still out on the grass. I was I was mainly taking the younger age groups, the nines and tens, but I had taken the fifteens and sixteens. So I'd, I'd you know I'd, I think when you couple in the fact that actually I'm getting people the, the academy to do a, a very good job, being more productive, um, making sure the coaches are learning and and, and all that kind of stuff getting all their individual plans 
and 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 learning myself and, and improving myself. I think when you couple all that in, I think they probably saw that I was wasn't a bad shot for the you know for the manager's job. I, I, I obviously you'd have to ask the well, unfortunately, the, the chairman who gave me a job has now died, so you can't ask him. But you'd have to ask the board for for their reasons. But I think that's probably why. And how did the discussions take place when you received the call to action? Kind of what what was spoken about, if you don't mind me asking. I, I got I got asked to go down the ground. Um, I was at the training ground. I asked to go, go down the ground. It was a Thursday. Um, it, it it didn't surprise me to get asked to go down the ground. Um, this was January, um, and in November the the, the sex abuse scandal had, had started um, in, in Gulf and the club. So. I'd spent quite a lot of time in the boardroom, um, reading over um, past court papers. There'd been two or three court cases before the the one that um, you know before before the, the, the media got hold of it um, in in two thousand and seventeen or sixteen. So it was. I thought it was to do with that. I went into the boardroom. The chairman, and vice chair, were there. They just said, "Look." You know the, the current manager is is going to get sacked. Would you would you consider the job? Um, I, I didn't think it was it was going to be that. That's for sure. I thought it was something to do with with the with the, the sex abuse stuff. Um, I said right, okay, let me think about it. And I didn't I didn't just say yes. I said I need to go away and think about it. I'm, I thoroughly enjoy my, my current role, um, and I, and I want you know I want to speak to my family about it. Um, and that that was how the, the the ball started, if you like, or the ball ball started rolling. Um, the 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 first team lost on Saturday three 0 The manager subsequently departed and and, and accepted the job. Um, Sunday morning was going into management something you always wanted to do during your playing career, or was it just kind of cast upon you in that moment? Um, it, it wasn't something. My, my wife will tell you that I'm the worst um, at sort of seeing what the next step is. And I've, I'm, since I've been out of work, it's something that I've tried to look at, you know, and, and try to, it's very difficult to plan that kind of thing. But at the same time, you've got to, you can actually put things in place that, like, where's my next job? What's my next job after that kind of thing? And, and <clears throat> excuse me, I certainly didn't um, sort of think like that. You know, five and a half, six years ago. So, um, obviously, it's something that I'm sure it's somewhere in my brain that I wanted to do, but it wasn't something that I was actively pursuing. I, I was, I wanted a, a very good academy to 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 continue to thrive, and and I know that it was certainly when I took over in the academy, it was sort of sliding one way, and then you know you you, you sort of redress that and. Pick up the reins. Um, obviously, you could go into a manager's job, and, and uh, you could be gone in six games. You know, I, I went to see Huddersfield last night, and obviously they've got a very new manager uh, who's come out of the academy. And I was sat talking to Neil Critchley at half time, the three 0 down. He said, "What would you do?" I said, <laughs> "I said it's a tough, it's a tough question." But you know, we had a chat. I said, "I wonder if he's regretting coming out of the academy mm-hmm. yet." I hope it turns it around. Obviously, we all, you know, I don't want to see anyone to get the site. But that's how fragile and volatile you can go from a, f- a very comfortable job in terms of job security 
don't get me wrong, being an academy manager, being a 23s manager, you know, you're never truly comfortable, but you certainly, you've got far more job security than, um, than what you have at, uh, at first team level. So I think you've got to, you know, you've just got to embrace the challenge. And that, and that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't um, sort of predict it to happen, if you like. Um, but then when you accept the challenge, you go, right, come on, then let's, let's have a good go. Um, and the chairman, the, like I said, the old chairman was great. He said, look, if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll put you back in the academy. You know, you, within the first few months, he said, once it gets beyond that, mm. can't put you back there. That's a different a different dynamic. I said, I, I get that. That's not a problem. That's down to me then. So he, he said that without even me prompting, asking or anything, um, which I thought was, was a brilliant um brilliant touch and you said there you know spoke about your wife saying that maybe you're not great at planning a couple of years into the future but did you have a plan of how many years you were going to stay at the academy level before making the step up or were you just kind of happy in the role i, I didn't know i didn't have a plan <laughs> um i said up until three months ago I've never I've been in work since I left school. I left school eleven days later. I started a friendship at Rotherham, and and, and I've, I've been employed for up until I was forty-one, um, mm. which is not a bad goal in football. Um, and, and like I said, five and five and a quarter years as a manager is is a, is a very good knock. Um, so I didn't particularly have a, a plan how long I was going to be in the academy. I didn't have a plan how long I was going to be manager of crew. Um, and I needed both, really, looking back. Um, but that's the... I think when you're in the game, sometimes, certainly from my my part, that kind of thing got overlooked. I, I just went, well, that's all right. Next day, next day, next day, next day. I didn't actually go. It's the bigger picture of what mm. we're trying to do, you know. So, you know, that's the that's one thing that's that's got to improve. So when you replace Steve Davis, I think the side were seven games without a win and they'd only picked up two points from possible 21. Yeah. But what were, when you went into the changing room force that you were, obviously you took the job, what were things you wanted to change on the pitch as well as off the pitch from the get-go? Well, there's, obviously the club was, was heading towards one league. It was the first week in January. I think they were 19th. So I, I don't know about, you'll have to check. I think, I think 17th, 19th, I can't remember. Um, and and there were, you know, this these are the the, the former chairman's words. Well, the, the current chairman as well. The, the reason the previous manager, you know, was asked to leave, um, was was twofold: was, was the style of play and the fact that he wasn't producing or giving opportunities to many as many academy graduates as they would like. So regardless of what I thought, they were the two parameters that needed to be addressed. Um, and thankfully, having coached a lot of them, um, sort of 14, some of them at 13, 15, 16, and obviously the later ones at 9 and 10, and have some of them in the first team now have coached at 9 and 10. Um, I'd already got a rapport with them. I already knew what was, was good and, and bad about them. Um, and, and I also knew that sort of... Um, the way the current team was playing, I hadn't seen many, believe it or not, I hadn't seen many first team games um, at home. I'd, I'd gone to games all over the country. Um, 
but, but not not. I, I tried to. Um, uh, I'd, I'd seen probably three games in the previous ten, something like that, because I'd got I'd gotten elsewhere. Um, but I also I didn't know that the style wasn't great. So, so straight away you've got to go in. You've got to give players who aren't used to winning the belief that they can win. It took us four games. You know, we don't know, we had some toughies. <laughs> we had Doncaster and Luton who were both near the top of the league. I think we played three of the first three of the top six in the first four games or something. And the one that we did we drew. Um, you know, so it was it was a tough first four games. Um but it was all about making sure one we picked up some points so we didn't go into finger relegated. That was the first thing. And then it's sort of building up building a um a, a, a team first and it can become an excellent team and I think that's definitely what we did um, you know we, we definitely you know, the, the fact that five of them end up playing in a in, a, in the championship um, I think got promoted out of League 2 after um, you know finishing 12th in League 1 on the lowest budget playing the best football in the league I'm not saying we're the best team but we're, we're definitely the best football team um, you know Everyone spoke about MK Dons. We beat them twice, comfortably beat them twice. You know, uh, finished above them, you know, not last year, the year before. And obviously Russell, you know, goes on to Swansea and stuff like that. Um, but we, we were by far, you know, better than MK Dons. Whose budget is probably five times what Cruz is. Um, so, you know, that first initial thing, making sure we picked up enough points, firefighting, and then putting putting things in place that allowed us to become a really good team, and and that's not always easy with young players, particularly. But I think when you when you've sort of been through the process in an academy in in that development stage, you can see where people are getting to. You know, I, I can think of one example, like Charlie Kirk, for example. I think he'd played about thirty games in the first team, something like that. Hadn't scored. He's a wide forward. Hadn't scored. Set up on a two, but nothing dramatic. But he's still a young, young boy. It took him to 52 games to score a goal. And I, I kept on saying to him, why do you not score goals? Don't know, Dad. Well, you don't get in the box. I'm knowing Charlie, I don't know him. Charlie doesn't particularly like physical contact. He doesn't like um, a defender coming and, and, and kicking him or marking him tight or anything like that. I said, you've got the best skill to be in the box of anyone at this football club. And what do you mean? I went, well, you don't like being kicked, so what do you do? He went, well, I don't stand near him. I went, well, there you go. I went, you go in that box and don't stand near anyone and you'll be free. It's as simple as that. Go in the box because you've got a natural ability to stand where nobody can touch you. Mm -hmm. But you've got to get in there. And it was as if there was a wall around the box for the first sort of 40 games. And I said, look, get in there. And, and the crazy thing was, his first goal was a header inside the six-yard box. And he don't like me either. <laughs> and I said, there you go. And, and from that, he sort of understands, you know, that, that first thing, that first goal, he sort of goes, actually, I can do this. But it took, it took me sort of 15 games to get him going, mm -hmm. to, get him, to get him to that point, to, to actually believe. And that's your players now. You're not always granted the luxury of 15 games as a manager if it doesn't happen. You know that when you've got them young players, they can actually do that. Was uh, oh, they will get there eventually, and the reward is 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 greater because, like I say, he went on played for the Blackpool of the Championship and what have you. Got moved to Charlton, 
And and he scored, you know, when we got promoted, I think he had 14 assists and 10 goals or something like that at League Two. And he, he scored similar numbers in, in League One. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was an excellent player, but he just needed a bit of guidance and a bit, a bit more, more development. <clears throat> and there were a lot of players like that, hell of a lot of players. But then when you keep doing that and keep giving them the, the, the tools, like I say, half of them went and played in the Championship. Um, and 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 are going to have good careers, and that's because we built a a very good, very good team. And and you mentioned about one of the reasons that Steve Davis was dismissed was style of play. How did you look to change that style of play when you first went in? What did you change tactically to improve results? What what you've got to, I think that rather than sort of come at it from a from a tactical point of view, I come at it from a, a psychological point of view. I said to the players, look, you all can perform better. You, you probably don't want to hear that, but that's true. Um, you're not going to, I said, there's, there's, there's two non-negotiables for me. This is what I said to them. I said, 100% effort. I said, it shouldn't be said, but it has to be said. If you don't run around, <coughs> excuse me, if you're not running around, you won't be on the pitch. If you're not running around in training, don't be expected to be selected. So that's that. To given, I said, and the other thing is, you've got to play the right way. I said, now some of you might not know what the right way is or my way is, but we'll, we'll show you in the in the next sort of few weeks in training. And that's exactly what we did. Um, so if anybody sort of whacked the ball and just kicked it anywhere, no, 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 that's not it. And you'd stop training and and you say, look, can you do more than that? Don't just kick it off the pitch. And you find someone. The unacceptable time is sort of clearances in and around your own goal. Um, you know, you've got you've got to be better than that. And that means if you if you are clearing it as a defender, say, and you can you pass it to someone, don't just whack it anywhere. Pass it to someone. They said you're not gonna get a shout of that unless you just slash at the ball and it sort of goes anywhere. Um, and that and, and that's a very sort of basic, obvious thing, but it's an extreme thing because most defenders just whack it anywhere. I don't as long as it don't go in my goal. Yeah, I agree. As long as it don't go in your goal, but can you pass it to him as well while you're stopping it going in your goal? And it's that little extra bit. And and when you sort of and when when you give them the belief and the confidence that actually, oh, you've made a mistake. It's not a problem. As long as you understand what you've done wrong, and you'll you'll try and not do it again next time. And there's only so long as a manager you can <laughs> accept um, mistakes because then they're either not good enough. Or the willfully not listening to you, um, but we didn't really encounter that. Didn't really, you know, people were trying, we're trying to improve, we're trying to understand what we're trying to do to him. And like I say, in the end, you end up with a, a terrific team that finishes twelfth in League One on the lowest budget. I get manager of the year the year before, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, we, and all against the backdrop of a of a club in the, you know, one in the in a pandemic. Which everyone was in, so that's not particularly different. But then, in, in the fact that um, there's also the crisis going on behind the scenes, and and I have to manage that as well. So, you know, when, when you when you factor all that in, um, the fact that I did it on my own as well, I had no head of recruitment, no chief scout. You know, there's the, the football club was under resourced. Um, I think everyone under, know, knows that. And and we and we ended up doing it the right way. Um and playing the right like I say, we we're the best football team in League One. Um, we weren't the best team. The best team was, was Wigan, because they 
they finished top. Um, you know, but we, we or Hull, sorry, it was Hull that year. Um, you know, we, we were the best football team. Um, and and when you when you look back and you you understand what you've you've done, you, like I say, you go back to that first day. What do you do? Like, what did you do after six games? What did you do after fifty days? What did you do after hundred days? And and that was you know what was the turning point? Why was why was the form sketchy at this? I got asked why was you, why was your form sketchy at this point in this season? And I said, oh, this is a question. Let me have a look. And I went back, and it's crazy because the first sort of nine games that year, we then changed formation, and it obviously had a dramatic effect. Because this was like a, a, a data guy that asked me a question, and you look back and you think, oh, right, should I have known that earlier? Um, so it's, uh, like I said, the last three months I've, I've been looked at the highlights. There's, there's still um, f- far more. Uh, improvements to make so things can happen quicker and, and all that uh, sort of foundation building of the team and getting the players to where they need to be to becoming an excellent team to selling them all on um, you know that can, I'm sure that can be condensed and, and made quicker so that whatever end up next time it happens quicker than sort of two and a half years There was a really good write up um, <clears throat> of you in the Coaches Voices website and yeah. I, I loved reading. It was genuinely fascinating to, to read your words. But you said that delegation was something you struggled with, whether that be maybe a personal need for control or the lack of infrastructure at the club. Because I'm not here to say it. I mean, you were the one who experienced it, of course. Yeah. But could you talk us through the experience with the lack of delegation, I suppose, which is yeah. such a vital tool for any manager, not even just in football? The, um, the 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 structure of the football in the first environment there was uh, there was me an assistant manager uh, first team coach who was the 23s coach um, an analyst and a goalkeeper coach and the head of sports science uh, the head of sports science was a terrific um, person very good at his job left um, start of not last season before when you know which. No, sorry, last season, left at the start of last season, extremely good. You know, Dr. Liam Anderson, very good at his job. So then we replaced him from the academy, which didn't help. That person then left and then ran Cuba Whitecaps after two months. Um, so so I, I'll, I'll give you the sort of assistant manager in Kenny. Um, Kenny is extremely trustworthy, very good tactically. Um, not particularly great on a computer or, or that kind of stuff, phone calls, and not good at all, really. Um, but very trustworthy. You've got Alex, who is um, a good coach, um, but doing his own thing. And you've got the analyst, John, who is one person that I um, spent more time on. Player, staff was him. Um, I won't go into the reasons why, um, but he probably doesn't even realise um, that I had to work on him more than anyone. But it was, it, you know, it, it was difficult, mm-hmm. you know. And, and as a manager, that's what you got to do. You know, I could I could leave the goalkeeper coach. He's excellent. You know, he, he's come under a lot of stick from some of the fans, but he's very good, Fred. Very good. Um, so. When when you when when I talk about delegation, I go right. Well, I did, I couldn't I couldn't delegate to a chief scout or head of recruitment because we didn't have one. 
So who do agents phone? Well, they might as well phone me. Didn't help. I didn't want them to phone me. I'm looking forward to working in a team where where there is more resources that I can um, concentrate more on football because I know I'm good at it and coaching and management. Um, so you've got all that, which is a huge, huge um, area. Then you then you come down to tactics and and game plans. Well, that was fine because Kenny was good at tactics and I could bounce things off him. And John was actually good at analysing opposition. That was his forte. Coaching, I think he and Alex and, and Kenny um, could could nail that. Um, but there was still other stuff like strategies and, and individual plans and all the rest of it where I couldn't give that Kenny because he couldn't, he couldn't, he wasn't great on a computer. Um, so, although in the end I had to, it was, it was too much. Um, so there was, it wasn't for a lack of trying or lack of wanting to delegate. It was just the resources didn't dictate that. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who put more on the inside that understand that. Um, and I say, I, I'm looking forward to my next job where hopefully it's, the staff are, there's more staff. I don't, you know, I'm sort of, I don't think a head of recruitment or a chief scout is too much to ask. Mm. But, you know, that's that's what I'm hoping for. And, and if he's good at his job, you know, like I said, went to a game last night and there's there plenty of scouts there. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of them about. There's, I suppose the irony is I've been asking for one for a while and I brought in a, you know, presented to the board and did this again. Um, and the family said yes. Um, and I brought in a, an analyst and a, and a, a chief scout and the day they signed their contracts the Monday morning, I got sacked in the afternoon. So, <laughs> it's just, you know, I've been, I'd only been asking for four years. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a different, different kettle of fish. You spoke um, a few minutes ago about the kind of the game plans and the tactical setup of the side from a game to game basis. And I am really intrigued to know because obviously in the Football League, especially, you play, I think it's 46 games in a season plus the cup games. <coughs> yeah. I mean, you have the League Cup, the FA Cup, you have the, the, uh, the Johnson Payne Trophy, I still call it. So apologies, I can't remember the, the name of it now. Yeah. How much kind of work went into the game plans and analysis before every match, considering it was so relentless, the schedule. The the when when you um, when when we were winning League Two or when we were getting promoted out of League Two in the first season in League One, um, we I would say we concentrated on ourselves probably eighty percent of the time. Um, when we were building blocks in this last year. When we knew we had the, we just sold all our best players and we've got, we're going to sub one with a 17 and 18 and 22 year old back three. Um, and you're facing Jermaine Defoe and the league one stop scorer. <laughs> You've got to make sure you do a bit more on them. Um, you know, so the game plans um, changed and evolved as a general rule from, from season to season. Um, like you have to do less work on the opposition when you've got the best team. It's as simple as that. You can actually concentrate on developing the players um, more. So the, the actual game plans was very much, depending on which season we're talking about, 
obviously in in the in the seasons where we've got the the players that we developed and we're top of the league or the table in League One and, and, and playing the right way, then you can actually um, you know do more on yourself. When you go to like I say Sunderland, you you're actually saying right, we want you to do this, but actually just be aware that this might happen, and if this happens, we want you to do this. Whereas you know, sort of three out of the five seasons, we 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 were basically uh, making as much emphasis on the opposition as 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 we we had to because we knew we had very good players because we we built them to that stage, we'd gone to that stage. Um, so you know, I think you know that that's that's a general overview. You know, going into the sort of the, the last season, we spoke a lot about substitutes. What happens if we're one 0 up? What happens if we're one 0 down? What happens if we've got ten men? Not got, you know, they've got ten men. Stuff stuff like that. What happens if a defender gets injured, or midfielder, or attack, or this player, which is going into it with a niggle? So, the, so the actual game plans itself were far more um, structured going into them. Um, again, all that takes time, and that's that be. And, and going forward, that's something that I want to spend more, even more time on, um, because I think that's really important. Because I think when you try and preempt, you can't preempt every scenario. You know, you just can't. Um, but if if you've planned and, and prepared the best you can, without the emotion in the game, and and you know that maybe can you think it doesn't mean you can't change your mind come game day, you know the day after or two days after whatever. Um, <clears throat> but I think when you've actually thought it through logically, where there isn't a time constraint, you know somebody's got injured, you've got literally three minutes to make a decision. That's the absolute maximum. But he's got to get his gear off and get ready and be on the pitch. Well, actually, you can discuss that in thirty minutes or an hour or two hours, whatever you wanted on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday afternoon, whatever you know, whatever whatever it is. Um, you, you actually get a better understanding of why this player should come on or this player, whatever the the answer is. Excuse me. And I think when you um, when you do that and when you put the the the, uh, the work in there, I actually think you you're better prepared in the games. I think you know. So that that sort of evolved over time. You know, I, I made sure that came in. I, I realised we we're missing a trick. Because we didn't do that at first, you know that's not the truth. And I said, "This is ridiculous." You know, um, it's born about because of something that happened in one of the games. So we should, we should have, we should know this. We should know this. What we're going to do, mm. um, and that then actually impacts on coaching. Certainly, you know, pre-season. Right, if we ever go down to ten men, this is what happens. If we ever get the opposition ever get ten men, we might do this. Not always depends, but just so you're aware, and then you revisit it every. You know, once a month, just so it's somewhere in their heads, um, so it's not completely alien to them, and, and that that was sort of the involvement of the of the game plans, really. And you mentioned in, in another interview about when you left Crew, you wrote down your philosophy for the first time, which is I, I found really interesting because obviously you were just kind of thrown into the the deep end, almost by taking the job just straight from the academy, but. Well, I'd love to know the process behind that. Did you just sit alone in a room and write in a notepad, a PowerPoint presentation? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't as, as maybe as literal as what I intended it to sound, um, because obviously, I'd, I'd wrote the football club's um, philosophy down hundreds of times as a academy manager, I mean, not hundreds of times, but a few times. 
And that broadly aligned with what mine was, the club philosophy and all that. But I actually, you know, I think I wrote it down once before for a coaching course or something like that. But actually, what you, you know, writing it down when somebody's talking and actually saying, right. And literally, I was in a, in a room on my own for about three weeks, trying to get everything that was in my head onto a piece of paper, onto a computer. And right, what, what is it? What is it I am? What is it the football team is? You know, what, 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 who am I, if you like? And part of that was writing, writing my philosophy down. So, um, but, but not just writing it down, actually trying to understand it. You know, what does that mean? Twenty and thirds. What does that mean? You know, we all say it. There's loads of buzzwords. You know, everyone's got a philosophy. Right? You know, so, but then what does that mean? And that's sort of the easy bit. Like, how do you get there? And how do you actually get there? Well, you know, I, I, I think I've done the um, the hardest bit by developing a team that wasn't playing particularly well, mm-hmm. wasn't playing particularly a great style of football. And like I said, making them become the, the best football team in League One. I mean, started in League Two, and, and you know we we were, we were terrific. You know, there's a lot of 23s managers, 21s managers getting jobs now, and and I've got good luck to, you know, I, I don't begrudge anyone getting a job in football. It's far easier in 23s football. Mm-hmm. Far <laughs> easier to do it. It just is. That's not taking anything away from them, lads. It's not at all. It just is. Um, so, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of them got jobs in the last six months. Some of them will fail. So it's just a numbers game. You know, there's probably 10, 12 of them got jobs from, from 23 uh, roles. And some of them just won't be able to do it um, because it's harder than it looks. Well, you know, I've, um, I've I, I did it in, in, in tough circumstances, both on and off the pitch. Um, you know, the resources that I was given. We had the third lowest budget in League Two when we got promoted. It's ridiculous. Normally, third lowest budget gets promoted. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, but that's what that's what I did. Um, you know, so so when when you when you get the sack the first time ever, I actually sat down and said, right, what is it? And and it's been like I say, it's been quite cathartic to get lots of things down, lots of presentations, lots of greater understanding of where I'm at if you like and, and who I am um, because when you you know just in that sort of like hamster wheel of first team management sometimes you don't like you don't get the chance uh, but that's something that I'll definitely be doing going forward that's for sure and how did your view change from like a 2017 when you first took the job in terms of how you see the game because managers are constantly adapting how they see the game, how they want their teams to play. If you look at the weekend, I mean, Pep Guardiola was using double inverted fullbacks for the first time. Klopp's yeah. moved away from the false nine. He's gone with a, center, a proper centre-forward, the same with, with Man City, you know, with Haaland. So how did your view of football change in the last five years, now that you look back? Well, in terms of systems, we was we started off as a 4-4-2, because that's where we inherited. Uh, went to a 4-3-3 and then ended up a 3-5-2. So... I think um, you know. I think it is different for the Liverpool, the Man Citys, and and you know, talks Why? Because they can buy to their philosophy. You know, certainly for a club like Crew, we had we had good defenders in this la- that last season. So well, we might as well play three. You know, now that's not. It's it's harder for, for that because they haven't played a lot of it. They've generally played a four in coming through the academy, but we had. You know, 
some good defenders. We might as well try and get them on the pitch. So you've been influenced by stuff like that, as opposed to what you, what I might truly believe is the best formation, best system. Um, you know, that's whether that's right or wrong. You know, I suppose only time will tell. And I suppose if you get the tag, I suppose that's that's not a good thing. Um, <laughs> but you know that, like I say, when you go and play, you know, you're 17, 18, and 22 year old at Sunderland, lose two nil, but should have won three nil. You know, they score, they bring on um, was it Patrick Robertson, the young kid in midfield, their bright thing, can't remember his name, Dan, Dan, I can't remember, Dan, anyway, it doesn't matter. They bring them on with... Came from uh, Bayern Munich, I think, didn't he? He was on the yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, you know, they come on with 50 minutes to go and they both score with five minutes to go. Beat us 2-0, but we've had three one-on-ones and been brilliant. It gives you... Um, Hope, if you like, that them three players at 17, 18 and 22 are actually going to be good players in a year's time. Now uh, The new manager is probably going to get the rewards of that now. But that, you know, that's that's how it is. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, would, would, you, would I still play a back three? Probably not. Because you've got another window to recruit and, and you, you change and what have you. Um, but certainly, you know, I think I think when you haven't got the biggest budget in the league, I think you've certainly got to be malleable, adaptable, flexible, not just in systems, but in 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 the way you approach games. And you've got to try. I think I think this is sort of the next for me, this is the biggest thing going forward for for um for football. You you've got to try and make through your coaching um, the players, critical thinkers in games. Now that's difficult. It's hard for rugby players, and that's very much stop start. But they've got it. You know, they don't. You know, that's why the coach sits in the stand. They need to be the side of the pitch. Um, they, they critically analyse the game as it's going on. Now, <clears throat> for me, I don't think football do, does a good job at that, and I think that this is the next big thing. You know, people talk about leadership and it dying out of the game. You look at someone like James Milner and Jordan Henderson, for example. They're excellent leaders. You know, not necessarily because they're shouting and bawling or, you know, they're doing anything. They understand the game as it's going on. But that's been um, coached into them. You know, whether they've actually understood that when it's been coached into them, whether people have actually understood that they're actually coaching that into them or not, I don't know. But... That is something that's got to happen, I think, going forward. It's certainly something that I'll be taking into my next job. You know, sort of saying, right, this, these are it's, it's sort of the, the deliberate practice. You know, I read a book, uh, Ericsson, the 10,000, he was the 10,000 hours man, which he got, um, he actually got sort of um, misquoted when he, when he said that because he didn't say 10,000 hours at all he, was, mm. he sort of said 7,900 or something there was another guy who wrote Outliers um, Michael Gladwell who sort of said 10,000 hours anyway um, he he spoke he speaks a lot about deliberate practice and I think if you do deliberate practice from a, from a mental side you know it's, it's <clears throat> if you you know I think the best way sort of for me to put it is if you did lots of weights in the gym You'd see muscle mass, 
going on your legs and your arms and chest or whatever you're doing. If you do these exercises and as a coach, um, explain to the players, right, we're doing this, we're doing a small side of game, right, eight minutes each way or whatever, go. And after ten, after the first eight minutes, one of them goes, hang on, Gaffer, they've got an extra player. Yeah. Who spotted it? Who didn't spot it? What are you going to do about it? Right, that team over there, what are you going to do? You've got a team more, uh, man more. What are you going to do about it? You've got a man less. And then see the change. And when you film that eight minutes and eight minutes, and for the first eight minutes, they're running around and they're not really understanding what. And then the next eight minutes, they're actually going, right, do I press now? Actually, we've got to play it quicker. The, the mentality, you're working on their deliberate practice of being a man up or a man down. That's maybe an eight-side game, whatever. And when you show them that, you go, look, this is, this is all I said to you was that they've got a man extra. Because none of you realise, look at the difference in your performance there, that eight minutes, and that eight minutes there. I think, and then because there's no quantifiable measure, it's very hard to measure that kind of thing. For the coach, it's easy to, um, I think, ignore it, um, not believe it's critical. But I think if you believe in that and you get it right, I think you get the greatest rewards because you will get leaders on the, the pitch who make better decisions consistently in whatever scenario they are faced with. And I think that is, I think that's the next big thing for football. You know, you, will, will it become more athletic? Yes, it will over time. You know, it's more athletic now than it was in 1992 when the Premier League started. Right. It's only going to go that way. Uh, but there, there is a, there's a limit to that, to, to physical capabilities. There is, but it's not there yet. We've still got a way to go. The biggest areas for development is, is that understanding of, of relationships on the pitch, circumstance and situations on the pitch. And I don't think football has particularly touched that yet. And I think that's something that's, you know, again, when I've been writing stuff down and like, how do you go about it? What do you do? And it's stuff like that. It's stuff like overloads in, in, in small-sided games without them knowing, with them knowing, you know, asking them who's the best player, who's the worst player. What are you going to do about it? If he's having a, a poor training day, what are you going to do to expose him, your team? You know, what are you going to do to protect him? What are you going to do in the individual? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know, if, if the left-back's having a stinker in a, in a small-sided game and your, your left wing is the best player, why don't you go and stand on the right wing? Hmm. You win this small-sided game just by going over there and exposing his... You know, it doesn't matter the reasons why he's having a bad day. It's understanding, it's spotting the reasons why you want to win. And somebody, you know, it's little things like that. I, I think that's deliberate practice. I think that's rather than just having an eight-a-side, small-sided game for eight minutes or whatever. I think you've got to, you've got, there's got to be reasons why. Um, and in the end, you, you, I think you, you create winners. You create, like I said, critical, independent thinkers. Um, who who want to play the game like like you see it, and I think that's you know they're all technically competent to a level. They are most footballers. The difference, obviously, is athletically between the Premier League and sort of Championship, League One, League Two. It does get it gets worse like that. Um, but they're all they're, you know they're not um, they're not 
technically that much difference. Um, I don't know. There is, but it's not like degrees. It's not like massive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the, the biggest thing for me is if you get a team of, um, they've got to have all the other bits. You know, where the athletic goes, they've got to be technically competent enough. You can't just kick it off the pitch or whatever. But then when you get, if you get all that, which is what people spot, people see, people recruit, you get the ones who you know you can develop and, and analyze games and, and be tactically more astute, you're going to win more games. You're going to develop better players around you and, and you're going to actually be, be a better team. I think in all the, the episodes I've done so far, that was one of the most interesting things I've, I've heard someone say genuinely. I really, I, I got lost in what you were saying. I forgot I was hosting for a second. Um, I, I'm aware of taking it over time, but I just have one, one more question to ask. And I love asking this question because people throw up some amazing answers. Who are your biggest coaching inspirations? Name maybe two or three of your biggest coaching inspirations. I think um, there's two that certainly come straight. Um, straight ahead. Dario Gerardi was... An innovator, he, he obviously is. is um, he was a bad. crew a long time as well. Yeah, he was manager for 27 years or something yeah. like that. Um, he, he's, he was a visionary. You know, some, some of the stuff he taught me was, he, he just made you think about the game differently. And it's interesting, I was at, um, I was at the LMA Awards uh, in May and a player who I'd coached come up to me um, who I'd had. And he just said, I, I, I didn't get a chance to thank you. You know, I said, no problem. I said, thanks, thanks for listening. And he said, you just made me think about the game differently. And I thought, oh, it's interesting that, because that's exactly what I said to Dario. Um, you know, because he, he, he is, he was an excellent coach. Um, and the other one is Steve Holland. Because um, obviously Steve was at crew for, I think, 17 years. Um, he was first team manager for something like 18 months. Um, I'm meeting him in the next couple of weeks. Um, he sent me a lovely message when I got the sack saying, you lasted longer than what I did. Um, <laughs> and he's probably the best coach in the country. You know, I was like I say, I was at the game last night, I was sat next to Neil Critchley. An, an excellent coach. Excellent coach. You know, one of, the, one of the best in the country as well. So, you know, and, and that sort of comes from Dario and, and, and you know, Steve's influence and, 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 and Critch. And, and I look at people like that and I go, actually, you know, why can I not be on that same journey? You know, and there, there's no reason why I can't be. And, and because, of the, like I said, they make, you, they make you think about the game differently. You know, I spoke to Dean Ashton before at a sort of charity event. And, and he said, like, the, the only club that tried to improve me was, was Crew. You know, when he went to Norwich and he was at West Ham, he said they think I already know what 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 to do. In a large part, you know, when they've spent eight million quid on you, I suppose he is. You should know. He said, but that doesn't mean to say that I don't want to be coached. And because he'd been coached all the way through, he assumed that would carry on, and it didn't. And it came as a bit of a shock to him. Um, so I know that, and I think that has improved definitely. But at the same time, I still think. You know, there's, there's room for, well, Stephen Jard thinks there's room for Neil Critchley on his staff, that's for sure. And and Steve Holland's, you know, hopefully going to win the World Cup in, in a few months' time. Um, you know, so I know that there's room for, you know, for 
uh, for the likes of me going forward and, and and coming out of the sort of same stable as them too. David, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed this chat. And we here at Total Football Analysis wish you all the best in your future endeavours. And we hope to see you in the dugout again soon. It'll be amazing to see. No problem. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, David. See you. This has been the Total Football Analysis Podcast. I've been your host, Adam Scully, and you can find me on Twitter at ascully24. And you can find Total Football Analysis on Twitter at Total Analysis. I really enjoyed the chat with David Artell and clearly an excellent manager, a, a wonderful thinker, a superb coach as well. And I was really enthralled by some of the things he spoke about on the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll be back next week with another really, really exciting interview. So I hope you join us then. Goodbye for now.